0: all right let us begin welcome welcome friends to hit different your weekly music culture podcast with me mikey carl guess what coming up in this episode we've got some straight heat from rich moffat the same week that the groove and the moo lineup has dropped we're also going to be talking about band camp and sort of some backlash about epic games buying them i'm you know, i'm not as cynical as everyone else but maybe i'm just a dickhead and so sphere molly discussing dual lipper levitating sounds like a bit of a ripoff, allegedly we'll get into all that hey friends, support it different why why wouldn't you another mushroom podcast covering Australian music by becoming a subscriber. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review. If you don't give us a five-star review, we can't be friends. It's okay, we don't really care. Just tell everybody about us, that's nice. Groovy, Groovin' the Groovy. All right, friends, we've arrived. Firstly, though, a little bit of a check-in with our guest, Rich Moffat from Groovin' the Moo. Uh, he's a yoga practitioner. He does all kinds of interesting things. Very good wedding DJ, Rich at Spanning Time. Rich, how are you feeling in Castlemaine? What's cracking?
1: I'm pretty good. I just uh, did a couple of um, classes this morning, and now I'm very happy to be chatting to you, you guys. Yay! Yeah. Wonderful. Which classes did you do? Uh, I work for the NDIS, like one-on-one with people with various mental cool. health mental health things going on. Um, so. Yeah, this morning I did one of those classes and then I just taught a class about acupressure points for the stomach and spleen meridians.
0: <laughs> wow. Everyone's, everybody's uh, kind of perplexed by the spleen and there's some mystery around the spleen, I think. Can you can give us a little spleen fun fact?
1: Chinese medicine um, treats the spleen a little differently than Western medicine. In, in Chinese medicine, the spleen is the thing that converts all the food you eat into the energy that you need. So when your spleen is deficient, tends to be you have a lot of sugar cravings or not enough energy to do all the things you need to do to be awesome. Um, But yeah, like I, uh, I really love teaching people acupressure points just to change the kind of flow of energy in their body. So I'm really fascinated by Chinese medicine's idea of energy. Western medicine doesn't really kind of have a word for how we feel energetically, but every single human on this planet knows what that is. Um, so, yeah, let's, it's really nice to kind of access that idea that you can, you know, with every choice you make, change the energy of how you feel each day. And, you know, if you are feeling a little flat or feeling lacking in some way, there are, there are things that you can do, embodied practices that you can learn that kind of change that. And we're all empowered to do that ourselves.
0: Big style. I like it. It's, this is actually a wellness blog now, so <laughs> uh, sorry, I, had to throw that in. I had to throw it in.
1: Pretty much everything what? to do with the music business ends up in a conversation about mental health these days. <laughs> <laughs> the Absolutely. And, I mean, look,
0: Genesis Owusu won the Australian Music Prize yesterday, 30K, mm-hmm. courtesy of Sound Merch, whole record about mental health. Uh, so good on him. What's the record called again? Smiling, Smiling with no, no teeth. teeth. Uh, yeah, very, very cool. Congratulations, Genesis. Sorry about um, the excitement of fans caving in the end more stage, which I'm wow. sure you've he- you heard about that, Rich. Wow. Yeah, amazing. Um, see, see how that plays out. Um, it's going to be. I mean, there could, in a good way, it could become a global news story. That Genesis, you know, I think yeah. feel like he, he, can, he can write. He can sort of parlay that into some uh, to some sweet verbal content,
2: mm-hmm.
0: friends. This week, Bandcamp have been bought by Epic Games, and understandably, because people all always feel like Bandcamp are the good guys, and we're sure. all kind of, you know... Bandcamp we all wanna Bandcamp Friday. Exactly. We all want to cuddle up to Bandcamp, because they look after artists, and there's been a lot of reaction about this. Uh, Epic Games, the software developer behind popular video games like Fortnite, Unreal, and Gears of War, so they've made the purchase behind the scenes. Bandcamp is now a property of Tencent. Who have 40% ownership of Epic Games, 9.1% on Spotify, 10% of Universal Music Group, and some Warner Music Group as well. The shareholders include Sony, Japan Samsung Electronics, S Korea Spring Hill Entertainment. Basically, is you know, there's a lot of very big shareholders. And I'm being a little naive, I think, in saying it's all gonna be fine. You know, Bandcamp need a better offering on mobile, for instance, and it's not their first rodeo. They have been looking, they've had quite a few suitors over the last few years, and they've settled on, on Epic Games. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sort of knee jerking as much as some, but there's more intelligent people who understand the industry a bit better as well, which we'll cut to you in a second, Rich. Sam Cummins uh, from Triple R made an interesting point. He said, I'm actually genuinely interested in how this benefits artists beyond what Bandcamp was already doing, and how can we trust a company that is partially owned by Tencent who have stakes in Spotify? Fair enough, valid. Sam. Yeah, very valid. And uh, Mike Sugarman, another. A uh, cultural commentator says, to be honest, I think the thing bumming everyone out about Bandcamp is that we're being reminded that there's no room in the current way of the world for a modest, sustainable success that generally benefits everyone opting into it. The sane option just never stays on the table very long. Rich, what was the first thing you thought of when you saw uh, this development?
1: Uh, inevitable, (laughs) that's probably it. Like all of the little fish get bought by the bigger fish and you know, it doesn't matter how great someone's idea is at some point when something grows to a certain scale, it gets a bit terrifying, you know, because you have employees and you have, uh, responsibilities and you know, to the people. So at some point, nearly everybody that starts an independent business will look at selling it. and yeah, like, I, I don't think that is necessarily a sad thing, like, a, you know, that whole kind of indie versus commercial thing, like, it's all a bit silly in the modern world, you know, like, it's mm. like, I grew up with that. I, I grew up with that idea of selling out being really evil and awful, but it, it doesn't, <laughs> you know, it it, it it doesn't feel real in the modern world, you know, obviously, and, and that's to do with not just capitalism, it's to do with all of the borders are coming down, you know, like, Um, especially in this COVID age, you know, I feel like we're, we're not so much, you know, other, other people are a lot less alien than, than they used to be, you know, we're all kind of connected now through the internet and, you know, it's not so, it's not so difficult to imagine all artists having success in all weird little pockets of every part of the world. So the sooner we get past all that kind of mindset of, um, indie versus mainstream, the better, as far as I'm concerned, you know? Mm.
0: Uh, the CEO, Ethan Diamond of, of Bandcamp, said Bandcamp will keep operating as a standalone marketplace and music community, and he's going to remain a board in the chief role. Good. Um, the products and services you depend on aren't going anywhere, including Bandcamp Fridays. In 2020, Bandcamp Fridays raised $40 million for musicians, and I think I saw a stat. They've sold nearly a billion dollars of music and, mer- and merch on, on Bandcamp all up, so they're nearing Nearing a billion, which is you know you can't. I I, I also think uh, the way people have reacted to this, I think Bandcamp are going to do a bit of a "fuck you." You you, you watch you watch what we're going to do kind of thing. And again, that's very idealistic, <laughs> which is a weekly segment. Mikey being too idealistic about the music industry <laughs> on here. Different. How about you, So What uh, what was your reaction?
2: Yeah, I think um, I, I read it and I was kind of surprised it hasn't happened earlier. To be honest, like we've looked at you look at the success of Bandcamp Fridays, you look at the attachment that Bandcamp has with their almost like direct-to-consumer model, I'm surprised that no one's presented a deal good enough for them to to sell to earlier. But at the same time, I, I do feel like the the worries people have are, you know, they're valid, like I said. But yeah, I think I'm with Rich on this one. Like, it's it's going to happen at some point. I just I hope that the original sort of resolve of an institution like Bandcamp remains as untouched as possible and hopefully this deal can just provide them with more stability to maybe grow their platform and, and get to people in different ways. But, you know, on the same token, it's like we've seen what Record Store Day started out as and then we've seen – what it's kind of become now. And I feel like that's sort of gone, that's evolved so far away from what the original model is, was to the point now where we've got like Taylor Swift as like an ambassador for Record Store Day. And I remember that just like, feels a bit off, doesn't it? Fucked a lot of people off. And I get that. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I feel like it could be that sort of situation. I hope not. But if it is, it's like, you know, everyone's got to make their bread. They got to get their coin to I mean, they keep it going.
0: meta- didn't buy them news corp didn't buy them like rupert murdoch doesn't own band camp. so yeah i mean yeah. ben lee made a great comment he's a, he's a great uh commentator and he had some very interesting things to say he's, capitalism is a pit of vipers and he definitely made the point that to, for us to think certain corporations have the best interests of the consumers at heart and, and humans at heart and the world at heart is very naive and very uh yeah it's just it's just not true so Rich, do you ever use Bandcamp's app? And did you know Bandcamp have an app?
1: (laughs) I do not use the Bandcamp app, but I've definitely looked up lots of bands and listened to them on Bandcamp. And I I love that, um, you know, to me, I am well on the Spotify bandwagon. I love Spotify unashamedly. And I regularly have conversations with musician friends where I defend Spotify. They probably should put me on the payroll. (laughs) Um, um, I'm a little bit similar yeah and so yeah it's it's so interesting and you know that I mean I'm you know the whole thing that's happened with Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and all that and you know this kind of current anti-Spotify sentiment it makes no sense to me whatsoever because I know tons of musicians who are doing really well out of Spotify and If you had any younger musicians leaving and joining Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, then maybe there would be a conversation to be had. But the fact of none of the significant younger musicians leaving just shows you that they're all getting paid pretty well and they would be terrified of losing the income. So this, you know, this idea that somehow Bandcamp is the savior of musicians and Spotify is the devil is just like it's so it's so dumb. Like it's just such a such a silly story. Um, But nevertheless, most people outside of the music industry have well bought into that story. And it's yeah, it's so fascinating to me. So um, but yeah, you know, I think uh, Spotify is paying all the rights holders and Bandcamp is paying all the rights holders and they, they live in slightly different worlds because... Um, obviously, Bandcamp is much more the friend of of smaller independent musicians, where they're having a forum to be able to sell their you know merch and music direct to their fans, which I think is kind of awesome. That's not what Spotify does. Um, so yeah, so may, so most of my reaction to the Bandcamp thing is is about that. It's just kind of thinking of like you know people are comparing two things that don't don't really that shouldn't really be compared. They're doing entirely different things, and you know I. I think if you're an independent musician making music outside of the mainstream, then you need to really early on work out those kind of Patreon type direct to consumer kind of models. And, and, you know, if you're not making mainstream music that, you know, those are, those are avenues you have to use and you have to understand. And, you know, I don't think any of that element will change coming up.
0: Mm, Some breaking news too. Uh, Spotify have just closed down their Russian offices permanently. So that just happened this morning. Yeah, right on. That, that's a good move. Uh, Daniel Ek, the CEO, buying what, putting $100 million into defense and tech, and that, that was a bit yuck. Yeah, I think that furthered the uh, David and Goliath kind of narrative of uh, Bandcamp yeah. and Spotify. But I, I'm, I'm with you in that bands like I mentioned them last week, Vacations, they're doing super well. You know, they've they kind of been ignored by Triple J and but they're overseas and they've just sold, I think they sold 20,000 tickets. I was speaking to Lee week. They're, they're pretty there. much the biggest
1: fan in Australia that no one in Australia has heard of.
0: <laughs> yeah, straight up. So get on board, people. ons. Yeah, dig it. You'd be a good guest, Rich. In just a moment, friends, we're going to be talking to Sos about Dua levitating and the mm-hmm. certain court case mm-hmm. going on picked up source in the car and we've been humming the song all morning so um fun, fun <laughs> little fact for you then friends in just a moment yes hey check out other podcasts i already said that it's okay well, let's crack on let's get into a bit of music Over to you, South Mole.
2: So talking about artists who are not leaving Spotify, uh, Dua Lipa, how's that for a segue?
0: (laughs) It was a segue. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: Look, Mm -hmm. it was a segue. So Dua Lipa, um, who I love, I feel like I really converted to her music in the first lockdown. I went a bit crazy Um, Mm. with her music. I, I feel like she's just such a good performer, uh, really capturing a moment in, in pop music in the last couple of years. Anyway, she's been accused of copyright infringement <laughs> um, from a reggae band called Artical Sound System. So they're claiming that Dua Lipa has copied their 2017 song, Live Your Life, um, and has essentially turned it into levitating. Courtney, maybe we could pop these two tracks in the show notes so people can make up their minds for themselves. Um, I saw this pop on Twitter and I was just like, you know, sometimes we hear about these, these things where it's like maybe it's a top line that's been sort of fudged or maybe you can hear a little bit in the instrumentation, but not enough. I listened to both songs and I'm like, yeah, this group is getting paid out of it. Like you, you can't not. Um, and so I, it got me thinking, like, pop music, rock music, I feel like a lot of contemporary music these days, um, you know, it's it's never just the, the the artist is writing the song solely on their own model anymore. Um, I did some research into Levitating itself duly but does have a songwriting credit on it. I'm not sure how much of that is, like, what percentage of the song she wrote but she had a team behind her as well. So obviously that, you know, someone heard the song, incorporated it into their own work, whether it was consciously or subconsciously, however they're going to spin it because I'd like to see them try. Oh. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it, it made me think of questions like, you know, how much of the onus is on the actual artist? Because, you know, she's the public face of it now. Uh, this is a song that has already been hit with controversy. Uh, the version that rapper DaBaby was on, which is arguably bigger than the original version, got brought up. She had to make a statement about that when he got cancelled for homophobic remarks he made last year. Like This song seems to have like a weird juju around it now. <laughs> I played you a bit of the, the song in question yesterday. Yep. What are your thoughts?
0: Uh, yeah, it's a rip-off, absolutely. <laughs> and no one seems to have tipped a lipper off for this.
2: Well no one's made a comment.
0: Yeah. Over it. Well, okay.
2: Wanna haven't made a comment either.
0: Yeah, I think someone's making bank and three times because there's a Blessed Madonna remix as well. Um the track itself is have you heard Rich the Song Exploder episode about this? I have not, no. It's really it's really, really good. It actually makes you appreciate the song more as a Song Exploder always always do. Uh did you have any experience in in this field, Rich? Uh, and sort of going back, and any kind of recollections of, I mean, obviously we the Specs and Specs episode where they played the flute part for um, Land Down Under, yeah. and what's the original? That was that was awful. That the way that all played out, you know. That was messy. You know, just a, a lawyer on TV going, "Hey, I can, I, can, I think there's something here."
1: Yeah. That guy um, Greg Ham, he used to be my neighbour in Carlton in Melbourne, and when he died, there were flowers at the local food works, you know. Like, and yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you see that stuff happen, you know. I, I mean, to me these days, you know, like I'm sure many people have said before, there's only seven notes in music, you know. The idea that ev- <laughs> that every single song that ever gets made is going to be different to every other song is probably less weird than the idea that inevitably there'll be some that are the they're very similar, you know.
2: That's like, that's kind of the amusing part to me because, you know, we, if you, for anyone who hasn't seen the Song Explode episode on this, like go back and watch it and it's like, you know, when producers or songwriters are doing these documentaries and they're explaining how a song came to be or like when it hit, I think it's a load of bullshit when people are like, and, you know, like just the vibes are right and I was just looking for this one melody, like this one specific thing and then I got this, specific synth and then it just happened i'm like no and it doesn't just happen like there are many elements that go into it and it's just it's always so funny to me and when this came out and i was just like okay well clearly you've heard something somewhere you know what i mean it's sunk in and it's been adapted which is fine but like
1: which is the story of every song ever you know
2: 100 yeah i mean
1: the yeah i mean it's it's Obviously, at the point somebody wants to get paid, then, you know, and and a song has half a billion streams, there's probably money to pay them, you know? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they, they could
0: probably just get rid of this very sort of dispense of it quite easily, too.
1: Mm. Yeah, mm. I, I, would, I would expect so. But yeah, it is a bummer for the artist, because I think, and especially a female artist, because it somehow diminishes their sense of authorship know, yeah. or their sense of artistry and creativity and to me, like like a song is all of its parts, not just its melody line or, or whatever. Yeah. So you know, it it drives me crazy how little bass players and drummers and other people get credited generally like that that whole, that that whole evil of publishing where somebody says i'm the author of this song but really they just made one part of it you know I, mm-hmm. I i don't even understand the bands like like tame impala no disrespect to tame impala but every time they say tame impala is just kevin parker i'm just like hey, I like the other guys. <laughs> they're all kind yeah. of awesome, right? And yeah. The idea that they're just like robots playing what Kevin wants is absurd.
0: Yeah, I think too much gets made of that for sure. And I think because they don't give a fuck, that they, that they're not going to speak up and go, "Um, actually, you know, it's that real kind of West Australian attitude of like, it's fine, you know, we'll just roll with it. But the yeah the reason they are so big is because they've been touring their asses off for years and years and years Mm -hmm. as a band bringing that a game every night you know from guys i remember seeing uh, i think the guitarist one of the guitarists, punching bombs (laughs) out the back of the corner hotel for a gig about 12 13 years ago and then got up and it was a bit sludgy and slow on stage and kevin parker's whole Vibe on stage he wasn't charismatic. He yeah. wasn't so. Just speaking in and that, We didn't understand what he was saying. To see where they've come from now, and that's because as a unit they've just got so much better. Uh, so cool. Hey, Methyl Ethyl put out Twilight Driving, and someone pointed out that it's very, very similar to the letter by the Box Tops. Very similar, and it, and it's, it absolutely is. Again, you can listen in the show notes, my friends. And I asked, yo.
1: Mikey, can I just put in and say Metal Ethel album? Holy shit, that is good. Yeah
0: boy, <laughs> yeah boy.
1: And we just try and inspire a few people to go and listen to that
0: album. That is my favorite yep. thing all oh, year. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, cool. It's just yeah. He's, yeah he's sorry just to interrupt. Going. I, uh, I just not at all. No, no. Mikey was interrupted to talk about Metal Ethel. It's, it's, it's the best thing has happened today. I'm, I'm a hung dog, dude. We had <laughs> we had the awards yesterday. Oh my god. And I asked Jake Weber about it. He goes. Yeah, absolutely. I think he goes, I didn't mean it, but obviously while I was writing the song, it just sort of came to me and, you know, it's like, you know, he writes a lot of songs sort of in that hypnagogic state, you know, writes demos, et cetera, when he's just sort of half asleep in all kinds of ways. I love when Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's throw in something like a phenomenon, baby, you know, a little Mm -hmm. nod to uh, LL Cool J. So when it happens in a real, you know, giving a song a nod kind of way, why is that okay? Like I, it's, you know, what I mean, like I, I know why it's okay because it's respectfully, like Jen Clover did it all over her solo album as well, just like referencing others and singing actual lyrics of other songs. But I think it does come down. It feels like a very American thing too. Like let, let's sue, you know, let's 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 sue and let's get some money. Yeah, who's got the time to get money? I guess we all do, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, a bit, bit dark yuck, dark. isn't it? It's a bit yuck. So yeah, curious it's, to see.
2: I'm d- interesting to see how much money they're going to get out of it. I'm just- interesting too. <laughs> you are you are but considering there are yeah what like three versions of the track Mm. all are very successful in their own right it's like
0: Mm. And that, and I think just more and more people sort of come out of the woodwork and go. I I'm you know I did something on this song yeah. and it sounds a little bit. So this is just going to keep going and going and going, isn't it? Especially in a, in the era when you talked about streaming and you know Spotify actually paying the, the songs that do really well, paying the artists. People will still be looking for for ways to sort of to get some. and I'm surprised it's taken this long and then for the uh, for this reggae band who, <laughs> admittedly, are <laughs> probably too stoned to, to get around to. The song's not even on Spotify. Yes, I am absolutely. <laughs> walking right into that cliche and uh full respect see you in Bali friends after a break we're going to talk to Rich Moffat from GTM and a whole bunch of other things and going to make him feel good because that's what we do Mm -hmm. we are we're back with richard moffat the smiling assassin the man who fought falls festival up and made it a great great thing he's booked a whole bunch of things partners club back in the day i think the stories of you were like you were you just had a, a phone the, the the home phone when you were a teenager and you were sort of booking bands using your home phone and <laughs> having to be there to answer it so you could answer band queries and sort of you know do all these kind of things you must have an incredible patience as well uh also a yoga practitioner Um, all kinds of interesting things teacher DJ you've done a lot sir Uh, firstly though groove in the mood just dropped this week Uh, I actually put a post on LinkedIn and and across your socials about hey everybody wish us (laughs) luck we've done two years of like nothing of just building up and not being able to announce and now it's out how does it feel it's landed sir and um, yeah we'll we'll sort of step through it like that
1: Uh, look how does it feel it feels like um this is the first time now when I book shows and I'm not convinced they're going to happen until they happen. So mm. at, at this point, I'm just super happy that it's been announced. And, you know, yeah, I uh, I put that post online because, yeah, it was just pretty much how how I was feeling. And yeah. I just wanted everyone to, uh, you know, my friends that are not music people to understand what it is to do work for two years and not actually have anything that you've worked on actually happen. <laughs> you know, know, a lot funny. of industries have been disrupted, obviously, but, um, yeah, the music one, it's, just, it's really hard to explain to people, you know, so, Um, yeah, but I'm one of those people, like I, I only get paid when the shows happen, you know, I'm a contractor, I'm I'm not an employee. So yeah, just endlessly doing things that don't go ahead. It's pretty intense. And my, so my, my, my post wasn't a whinge about that. I mean, music has has been very good to me. I just wanted people to understand that sense of like, please, please don't judge our lineup. Like, please just wish us the best that it all goes ahead. (laughs) You know, that sort of thing. Yeah.
0: And the difference is, well, in, in another role, in another occupation, you could be putting tenders out and you're still getting paid and let's say mm. the tender gets rejected, but you're still working for the company and you're still getting paid because you put a whole bunch of work into something that didn't go ahead. Whereas with this, they're kind of like, oh, Rich, how can we pay you <laughs> yeah. if, uh, if, if, if the ticket sales aren't coming in? Tell, me, tell us about the sort of the tensest time in the last two years, if you can take us to the um, the rock bottom place.
1: ah no you know what I've never really felt like that it's just the frustration that you you know I mean obviously a whole whole bunch of artists that you love get excited and all the staff that are going to work on the show get excited and so it's yeah there's nothing about it that uh, yeah it's it's hard to explain beyond that but to be honest I've actually on a personal level I've really enjoyed the last few years it hasn't been a bad time for me personally I've just To took it as a opportunity to learn new things and to Mm -hmm. try and you know get out of some habits I was in, and I I feel pretty confident for the rest of my life I will look back on this kind of weird dark COVID time as a real like pivotal change in a lot of personal stuff like just getting rid of the habit energy of feeling I had to travel all the time and you know flying Mm -hmm. to New York and London just to do two meetings or like all that yeah. all that stuff like it, it hasn't made sense for a long time in, in in an environmental sense in a in a footprint sense like and i i'm really so i'm really relieved and happy that we're getting out of that mindset that you have to do all the things and be in all the places all the time so
2: yeah i kind of got to that point poof probably around 2016 you get into that rhythm of being like oh i need to be like my face needs to be seen at these events or i've you know I've got to go to Austin, I've got to go to New York for meetings that realistically you could do here, you know what I mean? And I feel like the last couple of years has only reinforced that because we've been forced to do it. But um, as soon as you kind of get out of that rhythm, the stress that comes off of your shoulders when you realise, you know, your world isn't going to fall apart if you're not at that event, the world isn't going to fall apart if you're not meeting in person or you're not forcing yourself to be doing like weeks upon weeks of – you know, seventeen-hour days. It really gives you clarity.
1: Yeah. So personally, yeah, last few years has been has been really nice. You know, I've moved to the country, so different bit of bit of energy from city life, obviously. And you know, got a new puppy, so I just basically oh, you God. know walk walk my puppy dog every day and you know just do all that kind of stuff that
0: i'm sure nobody wants to know about <laughs> no, no no two months ago i was sitting in castle Maid on the street having a lunch that only i was enjoying with my family <laughs> because the kids don't like dumplings apparently for that one day and then i saw rich side of love to me with the puppy and we had a lovely little chat and here we are now uh speaking of regionals so gtm touring around peking duck hilltop hoods middle kids montane hockey dad very stacked very like you know feel good vibey yeah and vibey people um out front also, also really like the, the, the fact that you're getting, getting behind jk47 and, and jesua tell us a little bit about those two artists, two artists um sosa and, I, Sos I, Sos and I are very big fans and just really like to give them a platform as well to tour around and really get their their flying whales up again
1: well i have to say the most exciting thing about um australian music in, in the last couple of years is the amazing army of first nations artists that are not just getting played on the radio or whatever they're actually doing really really well all their streaming numbers are really strong their ticket sales are really strong and, uh-huh. you know artists like Barker and King Stingray and you know there's Kobe D there's so many now you know and um you know I I, I feel like um in the future we'll see Barker, uh, um Baker Boy as like a a really pivotal kind of change in the energy relating to First Nations music it, it feels like that no kids in Australia see those acts as any different to all the other acts they like in any way, shape or form, you know, um, they just love the music and, um, yeah. So, so that part of it, uh, um, booking JK 47 was easy because I just love that album and, Yeah, amazing rapper and really interesting person doing great collaborations. And I really love that artist, Nerve, that he's worked with a bit as well. Yeah, and uh, Jesswa, we had her on one of our shows. I'm guessing it must be 2019 um, because that's the last time we ran a show. (laughs) Um, And um, I just saw the show. It was like, wow, she's incredible. We had to invite her back to do the whole tour. And she's put out some pretty great songs the last couple of years as well. So that's obviously helped, but... Um, yeah, that that was just a just a gimme. Like as, as soon as I saw her, I'm like, we have to get you around the country and, and to all the other places. You know, last year we, oh, the last time we only had her play the Queensland show where she lives.
2: Yeah,
0: she really made an impact early on. Listening to Triple R breakfasts in the morning and hearing, "I'm a savage, I'm a cunt, all you bad bitches now move to the front," <laughs> with no, with no warning. My nine year old still doesn't know the sea bomb. God bless oh She actually does it. She does it. I'm like. My God, when, when, uh, quick side note, when we had children, my lady and I, a bit of swear bears, we we made a cunt jar. <laughs> Every time you swore the the or the c, you had to put money in. Then we gave $80 to Amnesty in the first week and then we retired it. So there we go.
2: There we go. Uh,
0: do you tour around with, with GTM? And I mean, years ago, I remember seeing you backstage at Falls Festival and I was DJing there and you obviously had a huge sort of part of it. How do you prepare yourself for that? How sort of close do you get to the bands? What's your sort of MO when you're touring?
1: Me, my role pretty much ends at the time that the show is, you know, booked and announced and all the artists are booked. So I'm still booking this year's Groove in the Move, adding some local bands that I'll do pretty soon.
0: Give us a scoop. What's the scoop?
1: On the day, on the day, I pretty much walk around and just watch artists and chat to people. And, um, you know, I'll I'll definitely, um, when I see artists, I'll say thanks for playing and, you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, on, on the day, it's other people that are far more qualified than me that kind of do all the jobs on the day. And I try and just let them do their thing rather than get in there. Um, you know, I've just learned that that's the best way that, you know, everyone has their own department and their own kind of expertise and nobody needs to be micromanaged in within the stress of putting on a festival. It's, you know, whenever you have 20,000 people in one place, there's such a high duty of care to all the. Or, you know and group in the movie a lot of the kids it's their first time they've been to a big festival and so yeah we, we have a really high duty of care to all the people there just to make sure everyone's safe and survives and has a good time and um, so yeah I, I just try and kind of stay out of the way and enjoy the show as much as I can but you know these days it Like, the emotion when you're at a show like that, it's not so much like sitting on a throne and watching all the others. It's just relief that it's happening. Totally, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: You're watching it roll out.
1: Yeah, just watching it roll out. But it's, it's, you know, I mean... I think everyone understands that reality of putting 20,000 people in one place. It doesn't matter what it's for. There's all the energies of the world are there. You know, there's no, yeah. there's no way of creating a show or a party where only the, only the lovely people are invited and all the other stay yeah. away. Yeah. Like it's, you know, yeah. I mean, I love the Meredith, no dickheads policy and all that kind of stuff, but it's not real. Like there's plenty of dickheads everywhere, you know? So you just, <laughs> you, you just have to create as aspirational, a, a a feeling connected to your event so that everybody is on their best behavior and everybody oh. is trying to look after each other. And you, you know, you try and not, not enable the negative energy or not, you know, for, for, instance, an act like Jesua, she's a very angry, very, um, intense performer, but she brings people together, right? It's not the punk rock energy of spitting on the crowd or whatever. It's very unifying and very, very exciting to watch. So yeah. I, I, I love that kind of, um, negative energy when it has that sense um, yep. but yeah but I I try not to empower the kind of negative energy of just the restless boredom of, of you know teens ro- roaming the streets of country towns to me to me like shows like Grooving the Moo help with the general mental health of or the young people in those towns, it's not, you know, a lot, of, a lot of older people kind of go, oh, events, that's where, you know, people take drugs or bad things happen. But <laughs> it's, it's generally the opposite, like generally, yeah. you, you know, that sense of connection and community that you find at those mass events, it's so infectious. And it, and it really yeah. does create, create kind of memories that people hold for their whole lives.
0: Rich, when was your first ever festival moment? Like, I remember going to Pushover when I was, like, 16 and just, like, seeing something for Kate and, like, stuff like that. When was your, take us back to that moment, you were like, this is me, this is my place, these are my people?
1: Ah, wow, that's a really good question, and I really don't know the answer. Do you know what, like, this whole modern era of festivals that kind of started in the early 90s, like, I, yeah, I mean, I... That started when I was already seeing bands, so I always felt of my thought of myself as like a venue guy, and you know the big mass gatherings were a bit more like for the commercial world, you know. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I've always loved being at shows like um, like Port Fairy. Um, I, I love and Worm Adelaide. I love um, Meredith. Oh. Meredith, I've always loved. Um,
0: Give us a very specific memory if you can of a band, and it can be any age where you just like. This is why I love festivals.
1: I remember watching um, Björk at the big day out just going, what is going on? Like she was on the same year as um, as Rage Against the Machine, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I remember watching Björk just going, what is going on when an artist like Björk is playing in this massive field with 40,000, you know, revved up metalheads and, mm. and rock fans. And I, I love the absurdity of that kind of stuff being possible within a, within a big concert, you know, just that yeah. melting pot of people that, you know, all in, in a booking sense, all, all my favorite bookings are always the ones where I took a chance and it ends up being transcendental. Like, you know, like pe- Peaches at Falls Festival when she comes out inside the big inflatable condom and, <laughs> and, you know, walks out over the crowd. Like when when something like that happens, when you book an artist that isn't really a mainstream artist and they end up playing to the whole, you know, 15 or 20,000 people, that's really, really special. And I've, I've been lucky enough to have plenty of those. And, um, you know, so, yeah, they're, they're the ones that mean the most to me. You
0: know, Did you book Hangai a few years ago, those Mongolian chanty dudes? Hangai, H A N G A. I, I feel like you did.
1: Yes, I did. Yes, that
0: was that was transcendental.
1: At, at Falls, I always like booking kind of world world music stuff in amongst all the other acts. World music is such a weird dumb term, but you know we all, yeah um, yeah every year we would always mix it up, and there was a and those acts always did really really well, and it just really helped kind of kind of bring a bit more variety to all the kind of stuff mm. that people expected to see. I, I've always believed that the best festivals are the ones that inspire discovery rather than the ones that just book, book your record collection, you know, everybody. Oh, 100%. If, if you see a festival poster and you know even half the names, it's generally a bad sign. Like the the, be- <laughs> the the best lineups are the ones where you know a handful of things, but then you go on a journey of discovery with the festival mm. and you move around and you watch different things at different stages and... You know, and you know the best example of that in Victoria is definitely the Meredith Golden Plains model. Like they've yeah. ne- they've never pandered to the masses. They'll always book one or two acts people know, but generally it's always about the discovery and the takeaway. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: mm-hmm. Remarkable. It's so hard to get right. Very cool. Yeah. And, and you got, got Shouse. Shouse. Just one more. Uh, the Shouse, Shouse is just isn't was isn't that a remarkable story? Because he just the the hit that keeps on hitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about get, getting Shows in and how, how you're dealing with them.
1: Well, that's another one where they played the Bendigo show. I, I'm guessing, again, it's 2019. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, if you told me that they would end up having a global hit. and I mean, the song that, that is the hit came out around the time of that last groove in the move. Like, yeah. It's crazy. There's this new phenomenon now. It happened with Mars, Wolf, Bastionaut in the Ocean, happened with Showers and and plenty of other songs where hits kind of tend to take like three or four years, you know. Lizzo, yeah. "Truth Hurts" is another one of them, and I feel like at some point they're going to have to change the way that the you know aria awards work or whatever, because they, these songs are so slow that they that they become hits well after the year they got released, so they don't get the recognition they deserve. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: something needs to happen to the arias to get people interested in it again as well.
1: But the um, you know that I mean that song is just a great song. I loved it the first time I heard it, and. Um, yeah I mean it's it's had such a slow burn all around the world just from it's just kind of gone from one country to the next because it's great you know when you hear it on the radio it just makes you really happy. It's got that kind of real um, nice gospel vibe you know
2: very uplifting um, one thing I wanted to to touch on just regarding Groove and the Moo, when we were on the way to the studio today, I said to Mikey that when I saw the lineup there was something really um kind of warm and welcoming about it and I mean that in the best way possible because I feel like it's it's the sort of lineup that people will look at and be like that's what I need right now you know that the, the acts are familiar even the internationals you've got like Wolf Alice, Milky Chance, Broods, um, Chai from New Zealand as well like they're they're all artists who create such an atmosphere and I feel like that's definitely something that Groove in the Moo has over a lot of other Australian festivals. Is that it? Like you were saying, it's for a lot of people, it's their first festival, right? And I think if you're living out in a smaller town, those moments are so formative for you. And for these bands to be playing it, it it's just so it's so special, and you can't take that away from people. I mean, you know, you guys are talking about like your your first. Or you know most memorable music uh, festival experiences, and I think about when, you know, growing up in Darwin and then living in Adelaide. Like, well, for one, when I was growing up in Darwin, there was no Grooving the Moo in the NT, so I always heard of it, but all we had was bass in the grass, which was often headlined by the Hoods. But you know, you you had Birds of Tokyo, you had like a bunch of other bands who would take the punt and go north and hope it pays off. So that was kind of my entry. But then when I moved to Adelaide and Groove in the Moo uh, started up in the Adelaide Hills, um, I think I was probably, um, I was definitely at uni when that was all happening. And even then there was just such a rush for people to be like, oh yeah, you know, even though you weren't traveling far, because it's South Australia and you know, you travel 30 minutes and you're essentially regional. (laughs) Um, It still had such a vibe to it and I feel like this is, it's just coming at the most perfect of times, you know. Like there's going to be a whole new sort of generation. Like you think about the 18-year-olds who didn't get to have their graduations in this time, who didn't have that opportunity to unleash and and get rid of all the stresses after finishing high school and, you know, pissing off to falls at the end of the year, which is what I did. They've got groove in the mood there now to, to sort of make up for that time and I think that's really cool.
1: Thank you very much for saying that i mean my i mean when i first went to grew in the moon myself it's um you know I, i've booked it since 2010 but the guys who started they're amazing amazing fellas and they were yeah one was a school teacher and one was a statistician and they just had wow. kids, they just had had kids themselves and they you know there were no shows where they lived so they put on a show right yeah. like, and, and um, yeah, they're really? so not music industry. I mean, even to this day, they're not music industry, even though they've worked in it for more than 15 yeah. years, you know, they, they, they haven't really changed. Yeah. So when I first went to it, it had, it had been on, you know, maybe five, five years or something before that. And I'd sort of kind of noticed that it was interesting and, oh, what's that show about? And then the year that I went, they booked uh, Ratatat, And so I, you know, yeah, yeah, cool. drove up from Melbourne to Bendigo and I'm just like, oh. I wonder how many people are going to watch Ratatat in Bendigo. Probably not many. (laughs) And then I got there, the tent was rammed. It was rammed and all these kids were going crazy for Ratatat, who at that point were not a big act. You know, it was was very early on. This is 2009. Yeah, I was just so blown away that the audience had that aspirational sense of like i'm going to discover something new and cool and i don't Mm -hmm. need to you know as far as i know back then Ratatat were not on triple j at all from what i can remember Mm -hmm. but yeah there was this you know ten thousand capacity big top that was completely full and i i just totally fell in love with it i just thought the whole show was incredible and the energy of all the kids was great because the one thing that happens when you go to a show full of you know 16 year olds and 17 year olds is they're not jaded, they're not judgmental. No. They turn <laughs> yeah, up at no. like they they turn up at like ten o'clock in the morning, you know, yeah. an hour before the first band, and then they walk in the gates, they watch who you know, I've booked bands at eleven AM that have played to ten thousand people, you know, it's so yeah, I I just love that. I love the fact that people come with that sense of discovery and sense of enthusiasm. And the reality is, a lot of those kids obviously still live at home with their parents. You know, they want to be away from their parents for the longest possible time, <laughs> <laughs> and their siblings. So yeah, they 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 watch everything. They move around from stage to stage. So it's the show has just such a beautiful energy. I, every yeah. year that I'm there, I love it. And um and yeah the you know it's it's just keeping it alive through the whole like festival period where big day out and stereosonic and future and all these other re- really big serious festivals all went out of business and we just kind of kept mm. our head kept our heads down and <laughs> just kept oh, yeah. trying Good to, to go uh, yeah trying to be as different as we could and not get caught in all those sort of bidding war things so that so that's why we end up with acts that we love like Wolf Alice and you know like snake hips and and chai and you know those uh, yeah, when, when we find an act that we like, I mean, quite often we'll, we'll invite them back because, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's certain acts that think going to Townsville or Bunbury is cool and there's certain artists where they just... A
2: lot of them do because they get to see more of the country.
1: <laughs> that's it. But, you know, but there's also artists that just want to be in, you know, Sydney and Melbourne and New York and LA yeah. and, and that's cool too, right? Like, you know, some... Not everyone wants to go go and visit the far reaches of our wide brown land.
2: (laughs) But I did did an interview with the British band, White Lies, who was so fucking pivotal to me back when I was like 17, 18. Um, Still doing great stuff, new record out now. But we were talking about the feasibility of touring for international artists at the moment. And that was because I said to them, I was just like, you know, I'm not even going to ask you when you're touring Australia. It's been seven years since you've been here. And they were like, no, like, we appreciate the honesty because it's like we've got fans. We've got a really good fan base in Australia and New Zealand, but when visas are, like, a £1,000 per head and we can only, you know, safely book, you know, venues of a cap of, like, 500 or whatnot, you've got to just start thinking, like, how are we going to recoup? So it's like unless they – and he was saying, like, unless you can get on, like, a laneway or a Groove in the Moo or a festival that is a touring festival that you can then leverage – A sideshow or two in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane. That's kind of the format for a lot of bands coming out of, out of COVID and just period coming out from from overseas. So I feel like festivals like Groove and the Move have such an important place, you know, to to get artists back on the road, but also for internationals when that does start happening more again, giving them more of an opportunity to like Mikey was saying, to get their, their fly miles up.
1: Yeah, well, when I booked these international artists, I was mostly booking the show late last year, pre-Omicron. Yeah, and, you know, like I'd be chatting to international artists and a, a lot of artists were already booked in, in um, shows in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, in close to our time frame. Like we're, our dates are always the same dates as Coachella, so we can't have anyone yeah. that's at Coachella, et cetera. Um, so yeah, so we, we just kept asking until some things, um, stuck, you know, and, and definitely a lot of bands just didn't want to risk committing to being on the other side of the world, just in case there were more border closures or more variants. And then all of a sudden Omicron comes along and all those bands that knocked us back probably went good decision. And all the bands that we (laughs) did book, including us, like spent the entire summer or their winter, just going well maybe that will happen or maybe it won't so this yeah. you know this this period we're in now where it feels like we're well and truly the in the living with covid phase but not just that we're in the phase of like i'm okay to go out and you know with with all that entails you know i don't think there's anyone just sitting at home all day every day now we're all getting out and doing our thing and living our lives and moving on mm-hmm. to, and um, so yeah ho- hopefully we'll hold that energy and the shows will happen and um, you know, but yeah, I'm so grateful to all those bands for committing to come out, as, especially the the ones like what Wolf Alice is and, and Snake Hips. and you know that's a long way to travel all the way from UK and from Germany, Milky Chance, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and we, yeah, we've got this great D- um, DJ Riton who I think will be he he'll, he'll be amazing. Yeah, so you know, like the I mean, I I'm sure a lot of the kids know the Australian bands more than the internationals, but I I'm. Wolf Alice is such a special band. Like when they play, they're, they're on the main stage, they're after dark. Like I feel like that'll be a real moment at the show this year.
0: Mm. There'll probably be heaps of kids that, that don't know them. And then we're like, oh, I, know, I know this song. You know yeah. I didn't know this was them, all that kind of stuff. You know, when you talk about that rat you know, the epitome of discovery, discovering a band that doesn't even sing and, you know, the kids being transfixed by that and, and enjoying that kind of thing. Yeah. Very cool. Hey, Rich, do you want to stick around and do a bonus episode with us? Sure. Yeah. Great. All righty. Thanks everyone for joining us. On here different today. We had a lot of fun. Juulipas probably gonna <laughs> be a little bit lighter in, in the pocket, but she'll be doing fine. Um, Bandcamp and Spotify, and just your Bandcamp and Epic Games more like it. Very interested to see how all that plays out. I've got high, high hopes. Panic in the Disco, and then Rich <laughs> Moffat taking us through some of his uh, interesting decisions in life and life and opinions. Really appreciate it.